Chapter Thirteen of the Marrow of Tradition. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. The Marrow of Tradition by Charles Waddell Chestnut. Chapter Thirteen The Cakewalk. Old Mr. Delamere's servant, Sandy Campbell, was in deep trouble. A party of northern visitors had been staying for several days at the St. James Hotel. The gentlemen of the party were concerned in a projected cotton mill, while the ladies were much interested in the study of social conditions, and especially in the Negro problem. As soon as their desire for information became known, they were taken courteously under the wing of prominent citizens and their wives, who gave them, at elaborate luncheons, the southern white man's views of the negro, sighing sentimentally over the disappearance of the good old negro of before the war, and gravely deploring the degeneracy of his descendants. They enlarged upon the amount of money the southern whites had spent for the education of the negro, and shook their heads over the inadequate results accruing from this unexampled generosity. It was sad, they said, to witness this spectacle of a dying race, unable to withstand the competition of a superior type. The severe reprisals taken by white people for certain crimes committed by Negroes were of course not the acts of the best people who deplored them but still a certain charity should be extended towards those who in the intense and righteous anger of the moment should take the law into their own hands and deal out rough but still substantial justice for no negro was ever lynched without incontestable proof of his guilt in order to be perfectly fair and give their visitors an opportunity to see both sides of the question they accompanied the northern visitors to a colored church where they might hear a colored preacher who had won a jocular popularity throughout the whole country by an oft-repeated sermon intended to demonstrate that the earth was flat like a pancake. This celebrated divine could always draw a white audience, except on the days when his no less distinguished white rival in the field of sensationalism preached his equally famous sermon to prove that hell was exactly one-half mile, linear measure, from the city limits of Wellington. Whether accidentally or not, the northern visitors had no opportunity to meet or talk alone with any colored person in the city except the servants at the hotel. When one of the party suggested a visit to the colored mission school, a southern friend kindly volunteered to accompany them. The visitors were naturally much impressed by what they learned from their courteous hosts, and felt inclined to sympathize with the southern people for the negro is not counted as a southerner except to fix the basis of congressional representation there might of course be things to criticize here and there certain customs for which they did not exactly see the necessity and which seemed in conflict with the highest ideals of liberty but surely these courteous soft-spoken ladies and gentlemen entirely familiar with local conditions who descanted so earnestly and at times pathetically upon the grave problems confronting them, must know more about it than people in the distant north, without their means of information. The negro who waited on them at the hotel seemed happy enough, and the teachers whom they had met at the mission school had been well-dressed, well-mannered, 
and apparently content with their position in life. Surely a people who made no complaints could not be very much oppressed. In order to give the visitors ere they left Wellington a pleasing impression of southern customs, and particularly of the joyous, happy-go-lucky disposition of the southern darky and his entire contentment with existing conditions, it was decided by the hotel management to treat them, on the last night of their visit, to a little diversion in the shape of a genuine negro cakewalk. On the afternoon of this same day, Tom Delamere strolled into the hotel, and soon gravitated to the bar where he was a frequent visitor. Young men of leisure spent much of their time around the hotel, and no small part of it in the bar. Delamere had been to the club, but had avoided the card-room. Time hanging heavy on his hands, he had sought the hotel in the hope that some form of distraction might present itself. "'Have you heard the latest, Mr. Delamere?' asked the bartender as he mixed a cocktail for his customer. "'No, Billy, what is it?' "'There's to be a big cake-walk upstairs to-night. The northern gentlemen and ladies who are down here to see about the new cotton factory want to study the nigger some more, and the boss has got up a cake-walk for em amongst the waiters and chambermaids with a little outside talent.' "'Is it to be public?' asked Delamere. "'Oh, no, not generally.' but friends of the house won't be barred out. The clerk'll fix it for you. Ransom, the head waiter, will be floor manager. Delamere was struck with a brilliant idea. The more he considered it, the brighter it seemed. Another cocktail imparted additional brilliancy to the conception. He had been trying after a feeble fashion to keep his promise to Clara, and was really suffering from lack of excitement. He left the bar-room, found the head-waiter, held with him a short conversation, and left in his intelligent and itching palm a piece of money. The cake-walk was a great success. The most brilliant performer was a late arrival who made his appearance just as the performance was about to commence. The newcomer was dressed strikingly, the conspicuous features of his attire being a long blue coat with brass buttons and a pair of plaid trousers. He was older, too, than the other participants, which made his agility the more remarkable. His partner was a new chambermaid who had just come to town, and whom the head-waiter introduced to the newcomer upon his arrival. The cake was awarded to this couple by a unanimous vote. The man presented it to his partner with a grandiloquent flourish, and returned thanks in a speech which sent the northern visitors into spasms of delight at the quaintness of the darky dialect and the darky wit. To cap the climax, the winner danced a buck dance with a skill and agility that brought a shower of complimentary silver, which he gathered up and passed to the head-waiter. Ellis was off duty for the evening. Not having ventured to put in an appearance at Carteret's since his last rebuff, he found himself burdened with a superfluity of leisure, from which he essayed to find relief by dropping into the hotel office at about nine o'clock. He was invited up to see the cake-walk, which he rather enjoyed, for there was some graceful dancing and posturing. But the grotesque contortions of one participant had struck him as somewhat overdone, even for the comical type of negro. He recognized the fellow, after a few minutes' scrutiny, as the body-servant of old Mr. Delamere. 
the man's present occupation or choice of diversion seemed out of keeping with his employment as attendant upon an invalid old gentleman and strangely inconsistent with the gravity and decorum which had been so noticeable when this agile cake-walker had served as butler at major carteret's table upon the occasion of the christening dinner there was a vague suggestion of unreality about this performance too which ellis did not attempt to analyze but which recurred vividly to his memory upon a subsequent occasion ellis had never pretended to that intimate knowledge of negro thought and character by which some of his acquaintances claimed the ability to fathom every motive of a negro's conduct and predict in advance what any one of the darker race would do under a given set of circumstances he would not have believed that a white man could possess two so widely varying phases of character but as to negroes they were as yet a crude and undeveloped race and it was not safe to make predictions concerning them no one could tell at what moment the thin veneer of civilization might peel off and reveal the underlying savage the champion cake-walker much to the surprise of his sable companions who were about equally swayed by admiration and jealousy disappeared immediately after the close of the performance anyone watching him on his way home through the quiet streets to old mr delamere's would have seen him now and then shaking with laughter it had been excellent fun nevertheless as he neared home a certain aspect of the affair hitherto unconsidered occurred to him and it was in a rather serious frame of mind that he cautiously entered the house and sought his own room the cakewalk had results which to sandy were very serious the following week he was summoned before the disciplinary committee of his church and charged with unchristian conduct in the following particulars to wit dancing and participating in a sinful diversion called a cakewalk which was calculated to bring the church into disrepute and make it the mockery of sinners sandy protested his innocence vehemently but in vain the proof was overwhelming he was positively identified by sister amanda patterson the hotel cook who had watched the whole performance from the hotel corridor for the sole single solitary and only purpose she averred of seeing how far human wickedness could be carried by a professing christian the whole thing had been shocking and offensive to her and only a stern sense of duty had sustained her in looking on that she might be qualified to bear witness against the offender she had recognized his face his clothes his voice his walk there could be no shadow of doubt that it was brother sandy this testimony was confirmed by one of the deacons whose son a waiter at the hotel had also seen sandy at the cake-walk sandy stoutly insisted that he was at home the whole evening that he had not been near the hotel for three months that he had never in his life taken part in a cake-walk and that he did not know how to dance it was replied that wickedness like everything else must have a beginning that dancing was an art that could be acquired in secret and came natural to some people in the face of positive proof sandy's protestations were of no avail he was found guilty and suspended from church fellowship until he should have repented and made full confession sturdily refusing to confess a fault of which he claimed to be innocent sandy remained in contumacy thereby falling somewhat into disrepute among the members of his church the largest in the city 
the effect of a bad reputation being subjective as well as objective and poor human nature arguing that one may as well have the game as the name sandy insensibly glided into habits of which the church would not have approved though he took care that they should not interfere with his duties to mr delamere the consolation thus afforded however followed as it was by remorse of conscience did not compensate him for the loss of standing in the church which to him was a social club as well as a religious temple at times in conversation with young delamere he would lament his hard fate tom laughed until he cried at the comical idea which sandy's plaint always brought up of half a dozen negro preachers sitting in solemn judgment upon that cakewalk it had certainly been a good cakewalk and sending poor sandy to spiritual coventry cheer up sandy cheer up he would say when sandy seemed most depressed go into my room and get yourself a good drink of liquor the devil's church has a bigger congregation than theirs and we have the consolation of knowing that when we die we'll meet all our friends on the other side brace up sandy and be a man or if you can't be a man be as near a man as you can hoping to revive his drooping spirits sandy too often accepted the proffered remedy end of chapter 13 recording by james k white chula vista